0: was blessed to have the flu this week. And so this is the first day I've been out of bed. So uh, man, it's great to, it really is great to be here. I didn't know if I was going to make it, uh, but I feel really pretty well today, a little tired. So if I take a nap in the middle of the sermon, you can too, all right? So um, I see some of you nap anyway, week in and week out, but uh, <clears throat> get your Bible out, Genesis 32, 32 to 33. And um we 're going to continue in this series, and uh, so Jacob gets his name changed today, right, and so those of you familiar with your Old Testament, you know that Jacob gets changed to what what's his new name Israel right and so uh, we're going to talk about that, and names mean things and they they certainly mean things in the scriptures and and I know they mean things to you. I mean, as parents, right? Uh, you, uh, I want to think we have our parent-child dedication coming up in a, in a few weeks, probably four or five weeks. And um, we, um, you know, I always do a blessing around each child, around the name, and and I always ask the parents, you know, what, why did you name your child? And sometimes the parents are like well, we just like the name, you know, and sometimes the, the name goes back like four generations through grandparents and great grandparents, and. Sometimes the name reflects on somebody who just won the World Series, you know? so I don't know, and, and, uh, but I remember we named our son, my first son, uh, his name's Caleb Mark, and, and uh, we chose the middle name. Uh, because my um, my father in law had three daughters, and so uh, we knew that none he was his last name was not going to carry on. So we wanted to name our first son after him. And so you know, I, ne- I just never forget when uh, we had him, and my wife calls my father in law, and she's weeping, and she's like, "We named him Mark after you." And he was kind of like, "Okay, that's nice." So uh, you know, didn't quite seem to have. Sure, it meant something to him at the moment, maybe not. And uh, but then, you know, the first name, my son's first name, Caleb. We just liked that name. It was kind of a hot name in the you know early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands was this hot name. We liked it, and so we latched onto it. And and much to my chagrin, about five years later, I, I didn't know this at the time that the that the word Caleb is Hebrew for dog. And uh, so I named my son Dog, and. I don't even like dogs, um, except my new one. I do love my new dog more than the kids, actually. So uh, it's funny how roles have reversed. So, uh, but yeah, so names mean things. And so today, Jacob gets this new name. And so we've been kind of journeying with Jacob. And he, you know, he's this, he's not a good guy from the outset, at least, you know, and we're beginning to see Jacob change and, and we're beginning to see a, uh, a humbler Jacob as we go and we see the Lord working with him and being patient with him and and thank God for that right because that's that certainly we could apply that to ourselves that God is patient with us and and Lord willing we we do change over time you know through the power of the Holy Spirit and and uh, and we begin to see Jacob change and so last week we you know he had this really toxic relationship with Laban and 20 years with his father-in-law just this and this scheming, and then last week we kind of pulled some principles out of their reconciliation, and we talked about, you know, uh, as believers that with the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we should be making peace with certainly the, through the gospel it has us make peace with God, but the overflow of that is we have peace with others. And I I kind of landed on, hey, is there somebody you need to have coffee with? And and um, in my small group last week we kind of went around the room and we talked about people that had wounded us that we needed to forgive. Uh, I asked my small group, I said, does everybody have a name in mind? And everybody not. Nodded yes, like you know, they had a name in mind, and yeah, and so I hope that maybe you took that to heart, and you made peace with someone this week that needed to be made peace with. And so we learned that last week as Jacob is leaving his father-in-law now, and he's heading back to the land of promise. God commanded him, "Hey, now's the time to go back." And so as he goes back, um, and so this is just kind of a a story overview, and I'm going to pull out a couple principles this morning. Uh, he's going back and he knows that he's going to meet his brother. Who's his brother? Anybody remember? Esau, right? He had swindled Esau. I mean, he stole Esau's birthright. He stole Esau's blessing. And he knows like Esau's going to be madder than a hornet when he gets back there. right? And so, you know, he knows, I mean, I got to go, this is not going to be an easy journey back. Now, this is Not in the Bible, okay, this is Sean Brown's speculation, but I suspect the reason Jacob stayed in this long-term, 20-year toxic relationship with Laban is because he knew that to go home meant he had to deal with an equally difficult, equally toxic relationship, yes, and I think, I mean, you know, this is free counseling, right? You can just leave your $25 copay here on the way out. But, um, you know, like, I think a lot of times, like, we don't go back and deal with the previous. We stay stuck in a really broken relationship here because we know to go back there means I got to deal with another broken relationship, right? And so, and, and, but what's interesting is, is God in his grace and mercy had prepared Esau, okay? And so, so Jacob's going back to his homeland. He's got to face Esau. He devises a plan. He's like, I'm going to break us up into two camps. And then he sends a bunch of gifts to Esau in advance to meeting him, trying to butter him up, I guess. And, and, and then so the night before he's going to meet Esau, he, he gets in a wrestling match with a stranger that we find out is actually God, right? And so he wrestles through the night with God. And in, in the middle of this wrestling match, God changes his name, touches his hip, leaves Jacob with a permanent limp. Okay. And then in chapter 33, he meets Esau. And because God has been working, Esau is incredibly gracious and and they have a restored relationship. So that's kind of an overview. Okay. So now let me pull out three points this morning that I think will help us. Okay. The first thing I want to pull out is this idea of wisdom. Okay. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom. Jacob on his way home uses wisdom. And and this is what it looks like. It's planning and it's prayer. Okay. It's planning and it's prayer. This is what wisdom is. And we see this. uh, First, we see Jacob as he's heading home plan, plans to meet with his brother Esau. In Genesis 32, it says, and Jacob was greatly afraid and he's distressed and he's he divided up the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and he attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So God's told him to go home, but he's still planning. Like, hey, I know Esau is going to be mad. And so he's, he comes up with this plan. He's obedient to the word of the Lord, but he's still thinking He's still using wisdom. And in fact, if I were to read verses 13 to 21 and we see he executes the plan and then he, he sends gifts ahead to, uh, to, to Esau to try to appease him. And why do I talk about planning? Because one of the things I th- I see in, in Christian world uh, is this idea that, man, we're just going to pray about it. Now, I'm going to get on to prayer in just a minute, and prayer is an essential part of wisdom. But, but wisdom is more than just, we're just going to pray about it. It requires good planning. It requires a good strategy. Wisdom dictates planning and wise counsel. Jesus even said this in regards to following him. If you want to be a follower of Christ, <clears throat> if you want to be a disciple Jesus says you need to count the cost. Look at Luke 14. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, he was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and first and, and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for term of peace, but therefore anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, even to follow me requires the, the, the wisdom to count the cost. And certainly nobody builds a building. At least only a foolish person would build without having a budget, essentially. Hey, can we pull this off? Proverbs says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Listen, I'm often... I'm shocked when I meet with people, you know, I'll meet with somebody and they're, hey, Pastor, I need to meet with you, man. A lot of anxiety, what's going on? And and we start delving down and it's it's finances, right? Man, I'm just so stressed, my finances, and you know, and then I dig a little further and <coughs> I found out they, they took a business loan and and they bought into a business that was a head scratcher to me. And and I'd say, well, so, you know, I'll start naming names. I'll start naming some people in this commu- church community, you know, men or women that I know are successful businessmen and women in our community. i was like, did you sit down with so-and-so and such-and-such and talk about your business plan first? No, I didn't, you know, like, I just prayed about it. I'm like, well, you didn't, you didn't seek any counsel? You didn't seek any wisdom? Man, there is wisdom. By the way, there's wisdom all around this room this morning. You young people, listen, Find somebody with a few gray hairs that's spiritually mature and saddle up next to them, right? Now, some of the people that have no hair are like, what in the world? Like, I don't, that's not fair. You know, find somebody with no hair, okay? And that's fine too, you know? And if you have a lot of gray hair, like if you're here and you're 85, like who am I going to find? You know, like you're the wise person. Give back, you know? At least you should be. You should have grown in wisdom. So, you know, but, but man, I mean, wisdom. And, and by the way, here's a, here's a side note. Uh, right in the middle of your Bible, just slightly off center, okay, is this book called Proverbs, and these are godly wisdom. And by the way, you should just read one a day because there's 31, right? And you can get through it every month just reminding yourself of the wisdom of God. And I really believe that, that much of our lives, not all of them, but much of our lives is, is lived in the riverbanks of wise counsel, you know, and counting the cost and you don't build before you count the numbers. And so the wisdom kind of dictates our lives. And and you could be reading every day a, a Proverbs that gives us wisdom. So seek. So Jacob makes a plan. He seeks wise counsel. And then he prays as well. And this is not an either or, right? These, this is a both and. Wisdom dictates that we plan, but wisdom dictates that we pray. And I, I don't have this in your in your notes. But, you know, Psalm 127 reminds us, man, unless the Lord builds the house, we we labor in vain, right? You're, you're wasting your time unless there's a spiritual element. The hand of the Lord is with you. We need to seek the Lord in prayer. and And we see Jacob for the first time. Really, this is one of the really first times that we just see a really humble Jacob. And in Genesis thirty-two nine, it says Jacob said, and here is his prayer. He says, "O oh God, my father of my father Abraham, and God of of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, and he, by the way he begins to preach to God the things that God had told him." Okay, I think there's a real pattern in prayer here. I think when we pray, we should lean in heavily to the character of God and the promises of God. We see that a lot in the scriptures of prayer reminding God of what God said. Okay, you know, Which in turn reminds us of what God said. He said. God, you said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may... Do you good. And, he, and then here's this very humble Jacob. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan. And now I'm basically saying I'm coming back rich. or right? I'm coming back with two camps. And he said, so please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand, hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers and with the children. But you you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Notice here that Jacob prays humbly. He prays dependent. He prays reminding God of his character and his word. And by the way, last year, if you remember, we did an evangelism series in the fall, and I talked about, hey, there should be people in our lives that, to our knowledge, don't know the Lord. And, and we need to be reminded that we're on mission. And as we're praying for these people, and I gave you a Reach 3 card, and I hope you still have it. I still hope you're praying for some people that don't know the Lord, right? And as you're praying, it's okay to say, hey, God, you commissioned us yeah, Matthew 28, to take the name and fame of Jesus to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like, I'm on I'm on mission. I'm trying to do what you have called me and told me to do. And so, listen, Easter's coming up, right? And we're, we're going to equip you with some invite cards and these people that we're praying for. We should be saying, Lord, you know, you told me to invite them. I'm going to invite them. And we should be inviting people this Easter. Yes, Coastal? Right? And we're going to fill this place up for, and so the people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... And so uh, Jacob prays, its, its wisdom is planning and, it, and its prayer. Second thing I want you to see this morning, naming of God's people. All right, number two, naming of God's people. So now Jacob in the middle of the night wrestles with this stranger and he gets his name changed, okay? And so they're wrestling through the night and the sun is about to come up and here's their interchange, right? In Genesis chapter 32, verse 26, then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, it's Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Verse 31. Then the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So Jacob gets a name change. And what's his name change to? What's his name change to, everybody? We show, it's Israel, right? So here's the question. By the way, this is one of my favorite thoughts. I, I love this thought. I've used this before, Okay here's the question, what does his name mean? Right? His name Israel literally means to wrestle or to persevere with God, to wrestle or to persevere with God. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about this. I mean, here's the nation of Israel. Here's God being true to his promises, right? Every Abraham, through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who is now Israel. And through this nation, all nations will be blessed. The Messiah is going to come. in. mean, this is God's people, right? These are the people of God. And what does God name them? I mean, what would you name your kids? You pro- I started the sermon. Like we generally put some thought into what we want to name our kids, right? So what does God decide to name his kids? I mean, I would have probably gone with the idea of, man, I'm going to name my kids to love God. I'm going to name my kids... To worship God. I'm going to name my kids to be the children of God. I'm going to name my kids to be the people who find the mercy of God. I'm going to name my kids the people who find joy in God. I'm going to name my kids the people who God blesses. That's not what God names his kids. What does he name them? To wrestle with God, to cling to God, to persevere with God. I love that personally. It's not touchy feely. Well, wrestling kind of could be, I guess. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't emote is what I was trying to say. It doesn't emote, right? But it means to cling. And the reason I love that is, I don't know about you, but man, I have questions for God. There are things that we are reading in Genesis that for me, they, they, they don't all make sense, I leave some weeks with my head scratching. Like, like one of the, I think one of the main themes that has been coming out, leaping off the page to me out of Genesis is, is the doctrine of election, that God chooses who he chooses. Listen, I think it's a biblical truth. I think we should preach it. I think we should believe it. It doesn't mean I don't have any questions, right? Are you like that? Man, I, I don't get all that. Do you? It doesn't mean we don't have any questions. I have questions for God. I'm going to be really vulnerable. I I have doubts sometimes in my spiritual journey. How many of y'all about to get up and leave? The pastor has doubts. All right. You ever have doubts? Bunch of doubters. Okay, so. Man, I got, it doesn't all add up for me all the time. But I find incredible hope. That God has named his children to wrestle, to cling to, to persevere with God. Because at the end of the day, that's my journey. I love John chapter 6. It's probably, there's been a couple passages of scripture that have (coughs) buffeted my faith journey through the years this is one of them to wrestle with god and in john 6 has equally helped me and so in john 6 just give you a little context jesus jesus is at the peak of his popularity he's very very popular you know, because he had just gotten done feeding the 5,000, right? So, so Jesus now, he's the guy that heals people, right? If your body's broken, you go see him, he'll heal you. If you're hungry, he feeds you like free food, you know, free buffet, go see Jesus kind of thing. And, and so his popularity is growing and growing and growing. And he's at the peak of his popularity. The crowds are everywhere. They actually, earlier in the chapter, were, wanted to seize him and forcibly make him king, and so Jesus is kind of shying away from that approach because that's not the approach his heavenly father had for him and to be exalted and his path was through suffering. And so, and so he had a different path. And so he's at the peak of his popularity and at the peak of his popularity, he gets up and he teaches this. He says, if you wanna have life abundant and eternal, you, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Is that weird to anybody? Uh, that's weird to me, right? And so here's this crowd, there's all these people and they start grumbling like, what is he talking about? Like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and, and the John 6 actually pauses and notices proud, right? And Jesus pauses and notices the crowd. So, so Jesus has this moment where he can kind of clear that up for us, right? And let us know he's talking spiritually. Like if Jesus is in us and, and we're feasting on his word and, and his spirit lives in us and we're loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus, like it's this moment to clear it up. So we don't want to leave confused. And so Jesus does just the opposite, right? He reiterates it. Now, just to be clear, if you want eternal life, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? And everyone's like, "What?" And so people start to leave. And in John chapter six, verse sixty six, I mean, Jesus didn't read all the church growth books to no, know that's not what you say when your church is growing, right? And so in John six sixty six, it says, "After this, many of his disciples turned their back and they no longer walked with him." so Jesus looks to his 12. He says, do you guys want to go away as well? I love, love, love Simon Peter's answer. Simon Peter answered him. <clears throat> he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and you have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love Peter's answer. And I love what he says, where else am I going to go? What else is there to do or believe in? Because that's been my journey. I mean, what, really, what else are you going to believe in? Hedonism, which means you just indulge yourself, your flesh, you do whatever you want, whatever seems to make you happy, and you just pursue that. And th- there's some of you, there may be someone sitting here this morning that the reason you came to church this morning is because you've been down that path. Maybe you're on that path and it's left you at the end of yourself. It's left you with an addiction. It's left you with broken relationships and you've indulged and you've indulged and you've indulged. And now it's just like, man, this is a broken mess. That's hedonism. Are we going to go down the path of atheism? Like, I guess God does. If Jesus is going to say that kind of weird stuff, maybe God doesn't exist at all. I mean, is that the path we're going to go down? Listen, I, I can't even get my head around atheism. You want to know why I can't get my head around it? How in the world did I get here? Like nothing makes sense to me. Like what, if, if there's no God, like how did we show up? And how are we able to reason? And how are we able to think? And who made this incredible body that does incredible stuff? Right? I mean, this week, this weekend, man, I... Monday and Tuesday, I, it's laid up covers for two days with a temperature bumping up around 102, and as I'm laying in bed, and I'm shivering, and I'm freezing, and I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, how incredible is the human body that it's heating itself up right now to cook out this virus? This is awesome, right? Like, who made this? Thank the Lord I have sick days, so I can stay in bed today, so, you know, those kind of things, like atheism doesn't make any sense, and Hinduism has no answer for sin, and Buddhism and Allah has no like no answers in those other religions, and so I just continue to come back to it is Christ is the only thing that makes sense to me. Where else am I going to go to has life and 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 then I read First Corinthians fifteen where the Apostle Paul says, and by the way, the linchpin of all of this is that Jesus died and three days later he rose again and he writes, you can read this for yourself in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and he appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And if you don't believe that the resurrection Christ is still alive, you can go ask the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people because they're still alive as I'm writing this that he appeared to them. And then these 11 disciples, these 11 apostles, they were willing to suffer and die rather than give up the truth of this story. And so for me, this is not faith in faith. This is like, man, if I just have a little more faith in some mystical faith, I have faith in something that actually happened. Historical fact Again, does it mean I never have a doubt? No, it doesn't mean that, but it means at the end of the day, I'm gonna cling to Jesus to wrestle with God. Where else am I gonna go? My journey is a journey of wrestling and clinging and grappling and persevering with God no matter what. And some of you this morning, you came in here, man, and you've been waffling, and I wanna encourage you, man, cling to Christ because where else are you gonna go? What else is gonna make sense to you? Sin, rejection, other religions that have major donut holes for the human condition, where God sent His Son, and the linchpin of it all is He rose from the grave, physically, bodily, and eternally. Cling to Christ. What of all the things God could have named His people? It's wrestle, cling with Christ. Second thing I want you to see: letter B. In his wrestling, Jacob understood the gospel message. Jacob understood the gospel message in Genesis 32, verse 30. Says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means for I have seen God's face, seen God face to face, and yet he, uh, my life has been delivered. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Nobody can see God and live So as Jacob is wrestling with God or Israel is wrestling God, what does he understand? He understands that God is holy, man is sinful, man deserves to be consumed by the holy character of God. Yet God in his grace and mercy did something for man that man could not do on his own, which is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. For us to see God and live is purely God's mercy and grace fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so Jacob understands, man, I I saw God and lived. That's only by the grace of God. And so so Jacob humbly receives the grace of God. Some of you have pridefully been rejecting the grace of God. And so there's gonna come a day like we talked about last week, God is my witness. You're gonna stand before the God of the universe, you're gonna give an account of your life in your sin and in your brokenness. You'll be consumed by Almighty God. The only way we get to see God's face and live is if God is gracious and merciful to us. And that's if we've received the person and the work, work of Christ. And when Jacob does this, <clears throat> he receives the saving grace of God. The rest of his life, he walks with a limp. Let's talk about this for a minute. <clears throat> the rest of his life, he walks with a limp. Genesis 32 says this upon him as he passed through Peniel, limping because of his hip. For Jacob, the breaking process of his pride was difficult and painful. And sometimes, even for us, it leaves a lifetime consequence. But this is really good news, Okay. Because here's the good news. You ready? God uses broken people to display his glory. God uses broken people to display his glory. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us that sometimes God leaves us broken so that we can daily depend on him for his grace to get us through the day. I want you to think about Jacob for a moment, okay? I want you to think about Jacob for a moment. If there was ever a time that Jacob needed to project strength, it was the very next day, yes? He's about to go meet his brother. His brother's angry at him. He's afraid his brother wants to make war with him, all right? If there's ever a day he doesn't want to limp, it's the next day. Yet God leaves him limping and dependent on him, Instead of leaving him strong, God sends him into battle with the disability. The apostle Paul had the same thing, right? He's birthing all these churches. He's he's planting churches all throughout the known world. And yet he had this struggle. And we don't know what the struggle is. Maybe it was a temptation. Maybe it was a disability. Maybe it was a sinful past. We don't know exactly. But Paul says, man, I prayed three times that God would take this away from me and God didn't remove it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, "'that it should leave me. "'But he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for power is made perfect in weakness. "'Therefore I will boast all the more gladly "'of my weaknesses.'" So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am what? Content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, church, what's Paul say? Then I'm strong. Listen, we get to, in Christ, brag about our limps. We get to brag about our brokenness. In fact, if God has broken and we've repented and he's restored, he can even use our sinful past as part of our our story to display his glory. And sometimes the very thing we want to hide behind is the very thing God wants to use to say, no, I've, I've broken, but I've restored. And so Jacob is now a broken man with a new name and a limp. And he goes out and meets his brother and he humbles himself and we get this wonderful picture of Jacob's repentance and humility before his brother. Look at this in Genesis 33 verse 8. And so he, he sends out all these gifts, one gift after the next to Esau to try to butter him up. And then Esau says, what did you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I've if I found favor in your sight then accept my present from my hand for i have seen your face which is like seeing the face of god and you have accepted me please accept my blessing that is brought to you because god has dealt graciously with Me and because I because I have enough. This he urged him, and he took it. Listen, this is the overflow of real repentance, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I'm actually going to park on the idea of repentance in a couple weeks when we look at the life of Joseph with his brothers. But uh, genuine repentance, the overflow, is generosity and restitution. It's generosity and restitution. And when you're a repentant person, when you're a humbled person, you're generous with your time, you're generous with your talent, generous with your checkbook. It's the overflow of genuine repentance. When, you, when, you're, a, when you're a repentant person, you, you seek to make restitution. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, man, as much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, make peace with others. Restore broken relationships. And that's what Jacob sought to do because he's now a humbled man. Jacob's a man with a a new name and a fresh start and a limp. Listen, our God gives us new names. See, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian. that's, That's your new name. Man, you used to be, your story was, I remember when, what happens is a lot of times we get stuck living back there with our old names still attached. Man, by the grace of God and the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit living in us, we have a, we have a new name. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul says this. I want you to see this. Talk about renaming the church of Corinth, meaning the people, not the building, right? 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this. He says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So Paul says this, listen, the only people going to heaven are those that are righteous, those that are perfect. Those that are holy. Now he begins to list a list of particular sins, behaviors, sinful behaviors that the Corinthians used to take part in. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, Or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. It's, It's those who are general. the idea that you're verbally abusive. Nor swindlers, meaning you cheat. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul reminds the church of Corinth of their new name with this phrase, and I want you to remind yourself of this. Ready? And such were, what church? Some of you. That's who you used to be. That's who you were. But if you've taken the name Christian upon yourself, if you've bowed a knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, guess what? You were washed That means the blood of Christ was shed and paid for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. You're washed. You are as clean. The Bible says your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. You have been washed. You are sanctified. That means in Christ, the word sanctified is you are holy. You are righteous. You know, the gift of God to you is that He has credited. The, the righteousness of Christ to you by grace through faith. So now you are sanctified, which means you were justified. The word justified means you have been declared righteous. You It's not that you earned God's favor. It's the, it's the, the blood of Christ paid for your sin. The resurrection of Christ assures that sin has been conquered and that when we believe in him, the righteousness of Christ is now credited to us by grace through faith. And now, church, you have a new name. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord is a positional word, and Christ is a title that He's the Messiah. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ, you've bowed a knee to him, guess what? The spirit of God now lives in you and is molding you more and more into his image. Such were some of you stop living up to your old name and live up to your new name. Isn't that great news? You're now a Christian. You're now a follower of Christ. We have taken his name upon us. And so, my prayer for you is by the power of his spirit, may he grant you the strength to cling to him, to wrestle with God and live up to your name, to cling to Christ and live up to your name. No longer are you that old name. Some of you in this room, you're you're clinging to some relationship. You think there's some earthly relationship. There's a boyfriend or there's a girlfriend. That you think somehow going to bring you peace and joy and hope. And you're clinging to something that will not give you life. Some of you are clinging to your reputation, man. If just enough people liked you. There's never going to be enough people to like you, to complete you and make you whole. And some of you are clinging to money, man. If I could just make enough money. That's a slippery slope and a moving target. And some of you are clinging to work success. And on and on and on are the idols of our heart that we cling to. And none none of them give us life. None of them give us hope. None None of them give us purpose. Except Christ alone. I want to encourage you, by the power of the Spirit of God within you, cling to Christ and live up to your name. Christian. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the new name that you give us in Christ. Holy Spirit lives inside of us, molding us, humbling us, making us more and more like your Son. Pray for the people in this room, God, that are Christians, that have been living up to their old name. That Today they would say, you know what, I'm going to cling. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to live up to the name that God has given me. Washed, sanctified, Justified. That I stand in, in your presence, not condemned, but as a child of God, loved beyond any measure that we could even fathom. God, I'm going I'm to limp through life. I still have brokenness. I still have my limps. But I'm going to trust that my limps are used to bring glory and fame to Christ. So that when others ask... I can say, you know what? In my weakness, I am strong because Christ is strong in me by the power of the Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. May you cling to Christ this week. Church.